Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast. My name is Jacob Nalicic. I am one of your hosts. Joining me, as always, is Matthew West Fox, another of our hosts. Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm... I, if people cannot tell, my voice is a bit tired today. Uh, this is, as I, as I mentioned before we started recording, this is my smooth jazz radio host voice, uh, and that is because I got a little bit too excited and into something we were watching last night, and now I have exhausted my voice, which is not a good thing to do, but it happens, and uh, it was a good experience. For, for those wondering, um, the thing that we were watching last night was the World Wrestling Royal Rumble. Um, and I mention this only because uh, both Jacob and I are fairly recent converts, Jacob more than I, to um, the joys of wrestling. Um, but what I was noticing as I was watching it is this is yet another set of fictional stories beloved by a lot of the people who like a lot of the other things we do that sometimes have some ethical questions. So stay tuned. At some point, we're going to get a, a really hardcore wrestling fan on. And we're going to do an episode on the ethics of the wrestling storylines. So you can hopefully get excited about that or just plan to skip that episode. But either way, you'll know what's coming. And if you are a listener and that sounds like something you would be into, we don't require people to be experts. Uh, I would prefer you know more about wrestling than I, which is not hard. <laughs> uh, so, but, but yeah, like we would love to have you uh, just reach out to us, start the conversation. But today... Today, we uh, sort of decided to audible into something because Saturday, January 26th, was the 25th anniversary of Babylon 5. And as Matthew and I... So, the first episode of Superhero Ethics that I was on was about uh, something in, within Babylon 5, uh, specifically the Psycor. That's what got me started on this whole thing in the first place, was getting to talk about about Babylon 5, about the Psycor. And we, in realizing this, uh, Matthew proposed that we sort of take off the shelf one of these discussions we've been meaning to have for a while, uh, which is really the the central theme, the central conflict uh, surrounding the the meta plot of Babylon Five, being the the whole situation with the Vorlons and, and the shadows, the whole shadow war, as it is referred to. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to jump into this because I think this is. As we're going to get into, it presents a number of ethical questions, both kind of within the conflict between these two races. And, and for those who have not watched Babylon 5, I promise we're going to explain what that is in a moment. Um, it, 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 so there's that. There's also, though, a whole bunch of, of larger questions it brings up about things that we love to talk about in terms of who are villains, who are good guys, what does that mean, and what does it mean to... You know, one thing we, a theme we hit on a lot to, to really kind of get lost in your own focus, to get lost in thinking you're doing the right thing, but become so focused on winning and stuff like that. Um, and so, Jay, if you don't mind, I'm going to try and give just kind of a brief story summary for those who haven't seen it, just to kind of bring everyone up to date. Um, and then please fill in any gaps you think I hit. Um, but again, just so, and, and by the way, for anyone who has not seen um, uh, Babylon 5 and is planning to, it is a fantastic show. We are about to spoil some of the biggest plot things of the show, uh, and I would really hate for you to miss that. So if you have not seen the show and are planning to, please hit stop now and um, you know, um, go watch five seasons and maybe save this podcast for, eh, it'll take you at least a couple weeks, I'm guessing. Um, may maybe a, a week or two, maybe a little longer. Either way, though, uh, but if you either have seen the show and just don't remember it too well, or if you haven't seen it, aren't planning to, but are still really interested in this discussion, 
let me give you kind of just a brief summary. Um, so the idea is that in this world, you have a number of races like the humans who are all kind of around the same time chronologically in terms of when they developed. And then there were what were called older races, which are beings that were millennia older in their development than humans and others like them. And they were there to kind of help guide the, the younger races in their development. And that most of those races have now gone what they call beyond the rim, out of the galaxy into the great beyond. But that two races have remained behind, theoretically because they wanted to help all of the younger races sort of be guided through evolution and development and change and all of that. Um, and they are called the Vorlons and the Shadows. Um, and that these two races have diametrically opposed views of what is the right way to help people and what's the right what what should be done to help these races develop. Um, and that in the story, uh, what what happens is that eventually become at first we think the shadows are the villains and the Vorlons are the good guys. We eventually come to realize that both of them are being just as manipulative and just as controlling, and that we 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 think the Vorlons are the good guys because of ways the Vorlons have kind of controlled us from way back in, in our genetic history. And and eventually the sort of climax of the story is the humans and all the other younger races getting together and saying to both of them, listen, we are kind of caught in your fight. You claim you're doing this for our own good, but this seems like it's just about your egos and you're trying to win instead of help us. We are together saying we want both of you to stop helping us. Um, and it's this kind of great climax. And then both of those races realize what they are doing and that they are no longer sort of fulfilling their missions. And they both decide to go beyond the rim as well, leaving the humans and everyone else um, sort of to themselves. Um, so there's a lot to dive into. But, but first of all, Jacob, is that, that pretty much a good summary of, of, of what was covered? Yeah, I think that it is a so so you hit on a lot of the the major points. The big thing that is is the focus here and, and something that that you brought up that I really want to emphasize is the fact that when they got started, when when these these elder races uh, were left behind to shepherd and guide the younger races as they developed, it was supposed to be equitable. Uh, they were supposed to both like collaborate when they could or when they disagreed, you know, okay, you can take this this race and we'll take this race and and sort of like not get in each other's way. And the reason why there is conflict within the series is that some large portion of time ago, at least according to the shadows, the Vorlons decided that their way was the right way and started to just put their foot down and make it about like, no, we have to do things a particular way and the shadows were like no that's that's not going to lead to the best development people the, the races are not going to grow and learn and adapt the way that they should they're not going to evolve the way that they should uh and then basically what ends up happening is the uh the these elder races start using the younger races as proxies in this right. conflict and, and we'll talk about the the use of other people as proxies for your war in a bit but like that right. that's just such a big portion of the story and it's why it is so compelling to talk about uh because there's a lot of things going on there that are just not really the best uh, yeah. but makes sense and i think you really put it well and it's if you think about it this is somewhat of a trope although i think babylon 5 is one of the best examples of it but you know there's lots of examples in fiction of where a young a young character has two different mentors and those two mentors 
have different ideas of how to help the character. And, and at some point, they kind of forget that they're being supposed to be helping the character and are just interested in winning the conflict about which one is right. That's, I, I mean, there's a lot that are coming to mind. Oddly enough for me, the first thing that pops to mind is Sleeping Beauty. Um, and the, the, the Disney version of Sleeping Beauty with the two um, fairy godmothers who are arguing constantly about the best way to help um, the, that character. But but it's that kind of a story. First thing that comes to mind for me is The Incredibles. Uh, when uh, Elastigirl oh, yeah. and Mr. Incredible are arguing over whether or not their kids should be allowed to, to utilize or display their powers or like go out for sports or whatever. Yeah. Uh, both are supposed to be, you know, having... Uh, an argument about what's the best for their children and it especially in the case of mr incredible it becomes more about like what his views are right what he right. believes is right well and, and so to kind of for, for those who haven't seen it they're probably kind of having trouble understanding what we're talking about Let, let's go into what is the specific conflict between the vorlons and the shadows let's talk about each one of them um a bit on its own and then talk about them together because they do have very diametrically opposed ideas of what is the best way for evolution and development to occur and and i think it, it it's kind of a, a question that's the heart of a lot of debates that we often have um so let's start with the um the shadows um jacob how would you describe kind of the the, the shadow philosophy so the shadows when you get right down to it the shadows really strongly believe in utilizing entropy in order to uh, engender evolution so the shadows uh principally believe that things develop adapt and grow by being tested uh by being um so so it's it's like 100 percent darwinistic right it is this idea that if you are not struggling to survive then you are you're not going to thrive later because nothing has tested your limits to make you you know expand develop in new ways nothing's forcing that to happen right um, so with basically this boils down to once uh, races get to a certain point in their evolution, uh, there has to be war, right? right? The shadows believe that there has to be a conflict that's constantly driving you to develop and innovate. Uh, and if your race is incapable of doing that, uh, well, the races who are more capable are going to bury you, right? Yeah. And then, then the, the cream will rise to the top, right? Uh, so the best will will develop and grow more rapidly, uh, because if you are, again, just constantly being subjected to these selection factors, the best stuff, the best ideas, the best people, this is their philosophy, will rise to the top. Right. In, in some ways, I mean, obviously it's much more brutal because it's looking at actual physical con conflict, but um, one thing we're, we'll get to is that in many ways the Vorlon shadow conflict is, is a, in a lot of ways an allegory for the Cold War that had, when the show started 25 years ago, the, the Cold War between the wet, the United States and Russia, the Soviet Union, had just kind of come to an end. And one way to, um, I think, really helpfully think about these two is that in, in many ways, the shadows are the absolute, ex, you know, uh, end of the extreme ideal of capitalism because it's a complete free market. It's a complete total competition. The successes will will rise through conflict and through competition. Everything else will fall and be kind of reabsorbed and ground up and brought into the next new thing. Um, and, and one thing I think is very interesting is the shadows are very clear that they don't start conflict directly, at least not for most of the first couple of your shows. What they try to do is to exacerbate and play on 
the urge for conflict and especially the ambition that all these other races already have. Um, for the shadows, the prime question that they want to ask, and their, their representative actually goes to all the different races and always asks them, what do you want? Because the, the idea there is that what the shadows are trying to say is, oh, do you want to be a great empire again? Well, maybe we can help you do that by fighting these other people. Or do you want to have more riches? Or do you want to have your pride back? Or do you want to have a stronger space force? Or whatever it is, we're going to help you do that. Um, and in many ways, I think it's one of the most brilliant things that they do, because it's not that they just say, we're going to draft you into our fight, you have to fight. It's that they realize that there is all of this potential conflict brewing beneath the surface, and they're just master, masterly manipulating people at making them so badly want what they want and play into their own ambition that conflict is the natural result. Right. And I think you, you put it perfectly. It's, it's, um, if there is such a word it's very extrospective right they are asking that they are uh asking or or prompting uh the the races they interact with with what are your goals right and in the the allegory to capitalism is very on point right it's like what do you want what do you want to do where do you want to go right, right. um it's about desire it's about uh because if you don't if if you don't want to grow, if you have no ambition, the shadows won't like they won't have anything with you. They just go, nope, we're out. Right. That's not adequate. Uh, there's actually a point during the show where a representative of the shadows is talking with a couple of the different ambassadors on the space station Babylon Five, and whenever, even when when he gets answers that are ambitious but not ambitious enough, he goes, okay, thank you for your time, and walks away because right. there needs to be sufficient gravitas to the like there has to be this ego right this uh what's the word i want to use um and the, the ambition has to be grandiose it has to be right. has this huge scope in order for the shadows to to think okay this has legs this is gonna go somewhere yeah in some ways i think it's already their idea of the survival of the fittest and again it plays into that capitalist idea of that ambition is so essential to survival. That that ambition is success. You can't just want to be, we're okay, we have a nice race, we have a nice planet and system. You have to want to be more and better to survive according to the, to the shadow's idea. Um, and, and I think that that becomes really important because one of the things that I think is so fascinating about them is that it's in many ways, it's not even just that they go to people who are saying things are good. We want them to be better. The main people the shadows look to is people who have grievances, people who um, <clears throat> one of the races we talked about uh, the last time, uh, a, a very wonderful, uh, great story. Part of the race uh, race that's great. Part of the story is the Centauri and the Centauri are people who used to have a grandiose empire and that empire has faded. In a lot of ways, they kind of remind me of Great Britain. You know, they, they have the dreams of their past empire, but they're now much they're now much smaller and kind of in the shadow of the humans. Hmm. Very much the way, like you know, I, you know, some folks in, like listen to Brexit talk. There are people who talk about like wanting to have the grandeur and power of Great Britain again. That what it was uh, before it was in the shadow of America. That's very much the Centauri, and that's exactly the kind of thing the shadows are able to play on. Um, so what's your take on this philosophy? What, what, I mean, obviously both the shadows and Vorlons are extremes. Neither one of us were going to be like, yep, they're right. But overall kind of what, what's your, your view of this, this particular philosophy of, of 
life and development and evolution. Well, at the risk of Delenn uh, coming out of a closet and bashing <laughs> me about the head, I have to say that I think the shadows have a point. Uh, and it's not, it's sort of a begrudging acceptance, uh, because, I, look, I feel that, like, bald-faced blind ambition is bad, right? I don't I don't think that's something that, that you need to be nurturing or, or trying to um, to bring out in, in others, uh, because that can lead to a lot of, of problematic situations. However, I do think that there has to be some principal motivation uh, behind the improvement of the self or the improvement of a culture or, or behind growing uh, in some way in order for it to happen at all, right? And in a lot of times what engenders that the best is if there's a problem to solve uh, and right. a conflict is always a problem to solve now sometimes the solution to these puzzles is use gun on man but sometimes <laughs> it's a little bit more sometimes it's a little bit more complicated uh right. and often especially when you're dealing with these spacefaring races now you know there's a there's this whole arms race thing uh and i feel like what the shadows and they make a point of this in the show because the uh, the shadows go to sleep for a while. They've they've done this cycle, right? There's this cyclical thing where the shadows go away. Uh, nope, they're not around. The races are sort of left to their own devices. And the shadows come out in force and make everybody fight them because they don't have the ability to they don't have the ability to influence the races like they used to because the Vorlons have decided their way was the right way. And so the shadows are getting what they want now by starting a war against a really, really powerful adversary themselves, uh, which they mm -hmm. have done multiple times now, right? And so there's this there's this thing that they're doing. They're like, here, solve this problem. And what, what has come out of it is that each generation has better and better technology. Yeah. And, like, it's not just because, and we haven't talked about what, what the Vorlon philosophy is, but it's, I do not believe for a second that, the technological advancements would be nearly as great uh, without what the shadows were doing, uh, whether or not it was right. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I think, like, I mean, we're talking about sort of the grand, grand theories of economics and philosophy and government, and so it's hard to kind of give a quick answer in just a few seconds. But I, I do think that the shadows... As problematic as they are, especially in sort of the, the playing on blind ambition and, and, and exacerbating it, you know, kind of like they're sort of giving a toddler. A, it's kind of like, you know, the, there's a great scene in um, The Dark Knight, which is, um, I think, still to this day, my favorite superhero movie. Um, although Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is very close. Oh, God, such a good movie. But <clears throat> there's a great scene in that where um, the Joker has a number of the hirelings of one of the other mobsters who he's just killed. And he just says to the three of them, I, we have an, a one job opening, but only one, only one, and we're going to have tryouts. And then he just throws two, like, spirit kind of sticks into the middle of the three of them and says, you know, you guys figure out. Basically telling them, I want the three of you to fight to the death, and the winner is who's going to work for me. Um, and obviously that, that level, that, that's exactly what the kind of shadows are doing, is incredibly problematic. But... But they are also so focused on freedom in a way that I do feel appealing, especially when compared to the Vorlons, as we'll talk about, because so much of what the shadows want, the shadows never push people to do things they don't want to do. They push people to do 
what they really want to do secretly deep down in their heart. Um, in, in many ways, actually, it reminds me of some of my favorite versions of devil stories, uh, where the devil isn't about, um, you know, trying to force people to do things. The devil is trying to give someone the resources to do that secret dark thing that they always wanted to do. And um, obviously all of that I, are things I want to have nothing to do with. But at that core, the idea, as you said, that it is through competition that things grow and development, that grow and develop, there is some real truth to. And I, I look at the way the shadows and the Vorlons approach things, and I think the Vorlons have a lot of good points as well. But on this, I'm probably a little bit more on the shadow side, on the idea of there does need to be some level of conflict, some level of people trying to work together, but also having to overcome uh, adversity, overcome difficult things in order to, to, to grow and develop. And that obviously we need to have ways to, to deal with the problems that that conflict can cause and to try to make that conflict as nonviolent as possible and, and, and to, to help the losers instead of, you know, killing them. Um, <clears throat> but that is, there is an interesting point to where the shadows are coming from. Yeah. And, and I think, so you, you were striking on something that I really wanted to, to emphasize, uh, which is that when the shadows are appealing to somebody, and this is very much like a sort of an angel devil situation, right? So the shadows are the devil in this situation only because they are appealing to, uh, if we go to Freudian psychology, they're appealing to the id, right? They're appealing to your, your primal desires, right? For what you want. And of course, mm -hmm. of course, the other side of it, the Vorlons are appealing to people's super egos. Right. Uh, so, Matthew, uh, I think I did a pretty good job of leading us in with the <laughs> shadow explanation, but why don't you go ahead and, and start us off talking about what the Vorlons are into? In many ways, you set it up perfectly there with the superego, because the Vorlons are the exact opposite of um, the shadows. The Vorlons are all about order and discipline and self-knowledge, with the understanding that if you know, sort of, if you know yourself, you should know your place, and you should know that you are part of a larger structure. And so that your individual freedom is not as important as you being a good worker be in the overall structure. Um, uh, in, in the same way that the shadows, their their base question is, what do you want? For the Vorlons, it's who are you? Um, and, and it's interesting because that sounds very individualistic, but the way the Vorlons mean it is very much the opposite. It's much more about who are you and what is your role? What is your place in the grander scheme of things? Um I made the comment that in some ways the shadows are an allegory of capitalism at its extreme. The Vorlons are an example, I think, not of, of Karl Marxian capitalism, but of Stalinist capitalism, as, as it was practiced in the Soviet Union for so long, of we are doing this for the absolute good, but there's a group of people who are, you know, to quote George Orwell, more equal than others, and they know what is right, and they know what is good, and they will tell everybody what they should do so that we can all do the right thing, and then everybody will be happy. And the Vorlons have been the kings of manipulation going back millennia and millennia for exactly this purpose. One of the things that, um, and I think one of the great sort of plot twists is that there comes a moment, for the first couple of seasons, the show really presents it to us as though the shadows are the most evil thing in the universe, with some good reason. And that the Vorlons are the race that is the saviors, that they, in, in the last time, as Jacob said, the cycle happened a thousand years ago, the Vorlons were the ones who came to the rescue. They were the angels who saved everything. 
And I use that word angel quite literally because one thing we find out is, one of the things we learn is that for each race, when the Vorlons reveal themselves in their true sense, their, as their true selves, they look like angels. And that each race actually sees the Vorlon as their cultural image of an angelic being. And so at first we're thinking, oh my gosh, these really are sort of like demigods. They're great. They're wonderful. Until eventually we actually realize that that's because the Vorlons genetically manipulated all of these races millions of years ago to, to, to compel them to think that the Vorlons look like these angelic type things. Basically that like the very idea of angels was kind of placed into our cultural DNA by the Vorlons themselves. Um, and, and, and so it's this idea of they are trying so hard to make everybody want to do exactly what the Vorlons want them to do. And they're trying to be very much in the background about it. You know, it's, it, it's that kind of thing of like, if you just kind of indoctrinate someone very young, they will do the right thing without even realizing they're doing it. And that's the Vorlons, except that as, as the story goes on, just as the shadows realize they have to kind of come out from the darkness and, as you said, not just make the races fight against each other, but make them um, fight the shadows, the Vorlons are the opposite. The Vorlons eventually realize people aren't just following order and discipline and rigidity, and that the Vorlons have to come out and specifically tell people what they should be doing. Um so again, there. Do you think that's a, a pretty good summary for the Vorlons? Yeah. Uh, the yeah, I, I especially appreciate. I mean, obviously, the the whole order chaos dichotomy is very stark, right? And it, <clears throat> it is one that uh, is focused on. You know, the some some of the dialogue is very obvious. So, like that is one thing that's just explicitly named, right? Uh, and the Vorlons show themselves as beings of light because they've in, they've like introduce this idea in the subconscious of all of these races that beings of light are the good guys right oh right. god it's so insidious so what what's funny about it is and i love that you brought this up that initially you're all like oh wow the vorlons are really the good guys they're so pure they're helping people out but they're like they know they shouldn't use their like super hyper technology because people have to be able to work on their own and and so they're just sort of taking a step back uh and then as as things progress you come to realize oh no that's not what's going on at all uh yeah. these people have like actually been manipulating everybody for thousands of years and and i think one thing we'll get into is how well the story does that because it it does something that i love where it kind of walks you the viewer through the ethical confusion that the that the characters are going through themselves but before we get to that let's just stay on the vorlons so in the same way we talked about with the shadows, what do you think of the Vorlon philosophy? So the Vorlon philosophy of of discipline is very martial, right? Uh, not that, yep. in, not insofar as they are really wanting people to like go to war the same way that that the shadows are into, but more the 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 act of discipline for the sake of discipline that you will be better if you master yourself, and that mastery of the self is the most important thing. It's it's it is a time-honored and repeated trope in in a variety of fiction, uh, and I love the. There's so many different uh, dichotomies that are established between the Vorlons and, and Shadows that are classic, and you can see them all over the place. Uh, if any of our listeners have seen the show Samurai, yeah, the anime Samurai Champloo, uh, there are mm. two characters, Mugen and Jin, uh, who are basically the Shadows and the Vorlons, respectively. Only they occasionally like 
actually frequently in that show have to work together but they're kind of at opposite ends of the spectrum one of them is wild and one of them is uh, very disciplined on uh, the way they approach situations is radically different and that contrast is part of what makes the show good uh, right. because you have those like two different perspectives neither of which is being presented as the right way of going about something uh for the vorlons um I, you know the the idea of mastery of the self specifically is very appealing right um i am characterize myself as a very introspective person uh but part of that always becomes you know sort of like okay you you can do this but what's the principal motivation and so where where the vorlon philosophy falls flat for me is i don't know why i want to do this uh right i i understand and and because this is what the vorlons want people to think right that like they're appealing to this higher idea of yourself that you know you can be better than you are and wouldn't that be great like being better for the sake of being better being you know being your super self becoming that superhero that you've always thought about you know the, the hero of your own story that you've thought about in your head it's very appealing but why would somebody want to do that and like the the impetus the premise here is you're supposed to be you know embracing this sort of almost um buddhist lack of desire just doing it because it's you know the right uh goodness what's what's the word that i want to use it's the you're you're doing it because it's your duty right it's it's almost right. kantian uh in I, I mean in a lot of ways it's very communitarian yeah um because it's really about and, and i will say this is one area in which i really am much more on team borlon in, in the way that the shadows are so very individualistic and about you get yours so that someone else doesn't get theirs the vorlons are you know, I, I, um, I had a friend who came from a large family and they talked about how it is just instinctual for them that when they are at a restaurant and a couple of people order uh, an appetizer plate, you know, instead of the people who are just like, oh, I'll take a piece of calamari, you take a piece of calamari, you know, one of us will have a few more, one of us will have a few less, no big deal. This person is just instinctual, like, okay, let's figure out there are this many pieces of calamari, let's break them up into five equal pieces so everybody gets exactly the same, you know? And that's uh, that's the Vorlons. The Vorlons are – they don't want any one race to be so successful that other races fall. Um, they really do want everyone to not necessarily thrive but to survive and to be okay and to all have their equal place in the society. Um, and like, like I was saying with the Shadows, but I think in some ways a little bit even more here, there is a lot about that philosophy that is appealing to me. I think – we see here it taken to its logical extreme where nobody gets to act. Like you said, no one gets to actually decide, do I want, do I want calamari or would I rather have something else? You know, do I want to be a part of this particular community that functions in this exact way? The Vorlons have no ability of individual thought and individual, um, cause it's, 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 it, it, it's so interesting when you're talking about self-actualization. Um, and in this way, again, it feels very much like a, like a lot of parents, I think sometimes where it's, I want my child to realize I want my child to grow up to be the best person they can be. But the parent doesn't acknowledge to themselves that they've already decided what they think that best image of the child should be. You know, I think my child would be a great doctor. So I want the child to grow up and realize they want to be a doctor. That that would you agree that that's kind of very much where the Vorlons are coming from is we want you to self-actualize in exactly the way we're telling you. That is 100 percent where the Vorlons are coming from and. 
well, what's what's especially interesting about that is that, and this is this is the Vorlons' credit of the two of these, the Vorlons are the ones who do any kind of nurturing, right? right. Uh, they are far until you cross them, they are far gentler and and subtler with their touch, with their influence, uh, when they are influencing you. Um, but they do have an idea of what the right way uh, of doing whatever is, and you will find it out. And then if you don't choose to do it that way, they have a problem with you. And because they're the Vorlons and they're incredibly powerful, incredibly, you know, well, more advanced than, than anybody else, it's very difficult to hold your ground against them, right? And, and a lot of that, the, the people they, as the series goes on, turn their rage against are the people who have in any way been corrupted by the shadows. Because mm-hmm. I think it's part of the Vorlon idea, and this again speaks very much to, you know, it's funny I started talking about it as a capitalism thing, as as a Cold War thing, but in a lot of ways, they're it's really speaking to different philosophies of parenting. The Vorlons really believe that they have to have complete mental control over all these races from the very beginning, and that they never want to throw anyone aside. They never want to give up on anyone unless you've been touched by the shadows and influenced by them. At which point, towards the end of the show, the Vorlons are just like, okay, you have a couple of shadows living on your planet. We're going to blow up your entire planet. Right. Um, you know, and it's it's a – in some ways, it, it again speaks to that idea of I think where parenting can go wrong of when you have a really loving idea of what is right. But then when the, the child or the whoever – or the, the student or whoever it is goes against that, that can be a cause of incredible frustration and sometimes rage um, with all the problems that that brings. And, and sort of taking that one step further, there's also the idea that, uh, so with the shadows sort of starting to, or the shadows, the Vorlons starting to treat conflicting ideologies, right, as the as an infection to be purged, uh, and as the enemy, uh, it's this it's it's that classic thing where if you become obsessed with the enemy, you become the enemy, and that's exactly right. what happens over the course of the show, uh, when we have the turn, when we have uh, the Vorlons starting to blow up these planets, that's when our heroes realize, oh, they're not the good guys either, so who are the good guys? Right. I mean, one thing, I I never actually thought of it in these exact terms until what you just said, but one of the things I think is kind of interesting is that to some extent, as the show goes on and as the Shadows and Vorlons get more frustrated and feel like they have to come out more into the open with, with their conflict with each other, they both become a little bit more like each other. Mm. You know, the shadows do kind of start doing more direct control over other races to force them to do the things that they want. And the Vorlons do start encouraging more conflict and gathering all these races together to fight the shadows. Like, in some ways, exactly what you're talking about. Each one of them is so focused on defeating the enemy that they start adapting some of the the other one's tactics a little bit in ways that I think are really interesting. Uh-huh. Because the it's it's just that it's that that uh, example we were giving or the the uh, idea we were talking about during our devotion episode where when it becomes so important that your uh vision be realized that you no longer have a compass to guide you, a moral compass to guide you. You're willing to throw everything else to the wind as long as you can get at your goal. It, it undermines your goal, right? The Vorlons yeah. aren't, aren't doing what, they're, what they said is the right thing to do anymore. 
Well, and, and I think here, and now we can start to, like, I mean, I think the, the ending question about talking for each one is going to be, is either one more right or wrong? And I think where we're probably both going to come down is that, because um, I think it's where the show winds up coming down, and I think it's a good point, is that both of these philosophies have real problems, and, and both philosophies need each other a little bit, that you need a balance of the community and the individual. You need a balance of uh, conflict and um, uh, consensus, and that each person is probably going to want to find that balance in different places. And for me, on most of those questions, not for myself, I'm probably going to lean up a little bit more to the Vorlons. But what I think the show really does well is show how much, the, and we'll talk about this kind of meta thing in a second, but that the show really highlights that what you need is for these two forces to, to be working together, not to be demanding that everything be one or the other. Mm -hmm. So, so with that, let's go into um, kind of the more meta question here, because I think in some ways, one of the things that is so interesting about this is the way the show, like I said, so much of this is allegory and, 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 Let's start there. Jacob, what, what's your kind of take on what the show is saying with, with telling us this story in this way of these groups who are, in theory, trying to help all these younger people, have younger races, having a disagreement about how to do that, and that becomes something where they become more interested in winning the conflict than actually helping? Um, what, what, what do you kind of see, see being drawn out there? Well, and, and you hit the nail on the head on this one already uh, quite succinctly, but the the idea of this being two parents arguing over what to do with their, what their, how, how to grow their child. Right. Right. Um, and it's something that is again, named explicitly in dialogue in the show. Cause it's not the most subtle uh, thing ever written. <laughs> not uh, really at all. And so like at one point Sheridan uh, during one of the uh, Sheridan's uh, one of the more hey, leader of the humans. In, yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, when he is having a, basically having a sit down with the Vorlons and the shadows and he's, and he explicitly names you're like two parents fighting over your kids uh, because that is exactly what is happening. It's like, you don't care about, uh, you know, you, you don't actually care about us. You care about being right. Um, and that like, that idea, actually, it, it, it's more than just, you know, a metaphor for um, parents getting too involved in what they want for their children and not what, you know, it, what their children might want or, or what's best for their children um, right. when, when there's conflict there. But it's, it sort of goes beyond that. And you can, you can use it as a, an allegory or look at it as like when one of the first world countries, right? What is their role? What is, what is the what is the moral requirement of a first world country dealing with a developing nation? Right. And what, mm. and what is immoral of them to do? Because with the Vorlons and the shadows, right. They clearly are a hundred percent bought into the line that whatever, whatever they want up to and including just supplying them with, with weapons. Right. Or, right. or, you know, elevating people up because like one of the things the Vorlons have done that is so insidious is the humans and, and other, some of the other races would never have had telepaths without the Vorlons because the Vorlons needed telepaths for the wars with the shadows because the shadow ships are all piloted by organic beings on the inside and they can be manipulated by telepaths. Like it's. And, and here's where I think that, that, that the, the parent thing becomes so helpful because now it's, it's not just parents fighting over the child. It's, 
something that I, I know I, I myself and I think a lot of people who are children of divorce know it's when on some level the parents are using the child in their fight, you know, of wanting the, the, the child to be a little more on mommy's side or daddy's side. Um, and here's where it's not just an allegory of, of parenting, but it really is, an, uh, I think, the, the allegory of the, the Cold War that I just finished becomes so powerful because what you have is, and this is one of the things that you said that Sheridan and some of the other races point out in the climax, is the Shadows and Vorlines don't want to fight each other directly. They want to use these pawns to fight fight these shadow wars, which is exactly what was happening in the Cold War, you know, where the, the United States and the Soviet Union didn't want to have a direct conflict because it would be nuclear and, and horribly destructive. So instead, they each found groups in Vietnam or in Korea or in Central America, and they each supported one side or the other and had all these puppet wars happening all over the globe. Um, and, and I think now... Many years after the Cold War, we're, we're able to realize how incredibly problematic that was on both sides and, and to try and move away from that, although it still happens in a lot of ways, especially like in Yemen right now and things like that. But especially at the time when the show was, was happening, that wasn't well, that, you know, there were, there were people who been critical of the Cold War and been pointing that out for a while, but it was not by any means a universally accepted understanding of, of what had been wrong with the Cold War. And I, I, I remember watching the show and being really struck by that, about how well they were able to to point out how horrifically wrong that is, you know, to to get other people to fight your battles as a way of, you know, trying to win this ideological war. Yeah, and it, and it does a really good job of showing the damage that is caused by that, right? Where what you end up doing is you end up hurting the people that ostensibly you were there to help and guide, right? right? Instead, no, you're just you're just using them uh to win an argument, which feels really petty, but I mean, war. I mean, I was I was watching recently an interview with a um a Vietnamese historian, um and, and this person who who was he was old enough to have remembered the Vietnam War and, and to have grown up through it. And at one point he said, you know, to his mind, having really studied all of this, he believes that either had the country been completely American and capitalist or completely communist and Soviet Union, but not had the conflict, that that would have been so much better for the country. Because the, the problems that the country had for, for generations after the Vietnam War had nothing to do in the end with whether the communists or the, the, the capitalists were winning. It had to do with what that how devastated the country was by these two superpowers using Vietnam as the stage for their fight. Um, and like you just said, that's exactly what kind of, um, you know, you kind of like wish that like in some of those areas, the people have been able to kind of band together and say, we don't want help from either of you sides. That's what's able to happen in the story. And I think that's why it's such a powerful moment. Right. Um, another thing, element of, that I really love, and I want to hear your thoughts on is, the way that the story develops this idea of who is the villain and especially kind of plays into our ideas of who we think is the villain. Um, we've talked about this before. and Actually, Paul and I did an episode on this early in the show um, about the idea of how Hollywood will often code, you know, good races or bad races in certain ways. And that there's often a lot of racism involved here, but that the, the in science fiction, the races who were thought of as good people look very close to humans mm -hmm. and or look like, you know, you said beings of light. Um, and the shadows are presented as their crawling insect type light life forms. They're, they're obviously total darkness and black and all the, the racial connotations that holds. And 
And you see all of the characters very quickly jump to the assumption of the Vorlons are right and good, the shadows are bad. And to me, one of the most brilliant things about the show is the way it kind of takes the the audience on a journey only to then say, hey, wait, look at that assumption you made. You were wrong. The shadows are not just evil. The Vorlons are not just good. Um, to me, that's one of the most brilliant parts of the story. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's also one that uh, a lot of the characters struggle with. Uh, Delenn yeah. in particular, when Sheridan comes back and sort of presents this idea, and at one point uh, he's trying to, to figure out a strategic thing. I forget it. it was, I forget what the actual details were. They're not relevant. Uh, he suggests hmm, what, maybe what we need to do here is start thinking like the shadows so we can predict their moves. And Delenn freaks out. It's yeah. like, you can't do that. That is completely evil and wrong and you need to go take a nap now um and, and i think part of that and again here that the social commentary of it is so good the vorlons as we said they like have placed religious ideas into the minds of all these races especially delen delen is a religious character and her her race the mimbari come from a much more religious background and have a much more religious devotion to the sh- to the vorlons and I think that moment you're talking about where Sheridan confronts her, her response is very much like a devoted religious person mm-hmm. who is coming up on the idea that maybe their religion is wrong or that maybe the things they've always been taught are evil might not be so evil. And her first reaction is just to completely reject it because it would – to acknowledge what he is saying is true would so fundamentally shake her worldview that she's willing to fight against it. And And as we see in our own world, I think all the time – that's one of the most dangerous things about religion is when it so locks you into a way of thinking that you can't even accept things that go against it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's 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 a theme that continues with those two characters um, throughout the series, honestly. And it's not that they're you know broken in these ways, but there is a reason that Sheridan is the one who is end up talking to the uh, Vorlon representative in that pivotal climactic scene, and Delin is the one talking with the Shadow representative in the pivotal climactic scene, because each of them has a lecture to give to the right. uh, to the elder races about why what you're doing is wrong, and they're the better choice for doing it because Sheridan actually does understand the uh the perspective of the shadows and therefore can tell the vorlons even though he was close to one can tell the vorlons look this is where you're wrong this is where you've gone awry right yeah i i think that's a really good way of saying it and of it it it, to me it is just such an interesting thing i mean i i'm curious for you what was your reaction when you first started to kind of see that the shadows weren't just the villains and the Vorlons were, were absolutely not just the bad guys. Well, do you remember sort of when you started to, to have that realization and, and, and how you reacted to it? Honestly, the first time I had the realization uh, was when Second Kosh showed up. Right. Right? So those are basically what happens. Kosh is the representative of the Vorlons, and at one point the, the, the first one dies uh, doing something to really help the humans, um, and then a second one shows up who whereas the first had been kind of like kind of the stereotype of the enigmatic teacher on the mountain who will only you know who will say like patience grasshopper and 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 try to teach you in enigmatic ways this later one is much more obedience is what matters and just much more strict and disciplinarian mm-hmm. so what and was it about that that kind of really kind of clued you in there so it was it was the that whole transition right because in that episode sheridan has a big argument 
with Kosh, with with the first Kosh, with the original Kosh, who was really like a a, a father figure almost in many ways. And in fact, when uh, Kosh is communicating with Sheridan in Sheridan's mind, uh, he chooses to take on the image of Sheridan's father, um, which is a, something that carries on a couple of times because Kosh leaves a piece of his soul inside of Sheridan or whatever. The mythology is kind of cool, but but a little bit irrelevant. Um, but there's uh. You know, it's the only time we've really seen Kosh angry. Uh, and when we finish with it and Kosh makes the sacrifice, tells Sheridan, hey, I'm not going to be able to help you anymore, and there's things you don't know and don't understand. And if I recall correctly, explicitly tells Sheridan something to the effect of, like, don't necessarily believe everything that that anybody says. And then when the other Kosh shows up and says, I'm Kosh too, I'm like... Oh, I see what's happening here. Uh, they, the, my my initial take, and it turned out to be basically accurate, is we've already established this is somebody to be trusted. So we're going to present them this this other ambassador we're bringing in as the same person, right, or as as the same entity, and sort of try to build this mythology that we're basically immortal. Or oh, and that that's interesting because I actually had a very different take on it, which is that. In the same way that shadows are all about individualism and like the individual, in my mind, the Vorlons are so communitarian that they're all, that the idea is supposed to be that they're almost a hive mind. And that's so that any, any one individual worker bee who might come and speak to the humans is speaking on behalf of all of Vorlon and is, you know, not a, not an individual, but that they're all Kosh because they're all kind of this hive mind idea. Yeah, I didn't take that away from it. I, I guess part of that is because there are clear, distinct personality differences between the two. Um, right. And, and I mean, obviously, when you when you get the scene of uh, Sheridan on Zahadum talking with some some agents of the shadows uh, and getting sort of the the ex the exposition of the shadow philosophy, because we don't have that prior to this point. Uh, that's that's clearly where it becomes a oh there's more to this conflict than just these people are completely evil. Um, but I was sort of getting inklings of it before that point because of what the how the Vorlon's presentation changed in when they changed their representative. Well, because yeah. they had to. Yeah, and I think, I think that moment was really big. I think for me it was um, one of the first moments where, because again, at the start, Kosh, the, the Vorlon, really seems to be a, he's a mentor to, to our heroes and he's really trying to help them understand. But there comes a point where the the Vorlon sends someone to test um, uh, both Sheridan and Delan, our two heroes, to find out, like, are they the right leaders for the war? And it, it's a kind of, it's a great episode in a lot of ways, although kind of hokey in some ways. We, we Spoiler, we, we later find out that the, the the person doing the testing is Jack the Ripper. Mm -hmm. um, and this whole, like, he's kind of, it's, he's atoning for his own crimes. And it, it, it's an interesting story, but a, a little crazy. But, but the point is that in the episode, he's testing them and he never really explains why. He doesn't say, here's how, Here's why you need to pass this test. Here's why it's helpful. It's the first time, at least as I remember it, that the you don't have to understand, you just have to obey and asking questions will get you into trouble really starts to come out. And that was, I think, when I really started to say, 
is this really about helping them or is it about helping the, the Vorlons and their own ideas? Um, and, and I remember, I, I think there was a lot about the show that I liked and I, I'm wondering if this is for you. Um, it was those moments that really made me think this has just gone from being a cheesy but enjoyable science fiction show to maybe one of the best shows I've ever seen. Because when I realized just how much it had played me in terms of making me think that the shadows and the Vorlons were this thing. And then that, that when the characters had the moment of realization of no, I'm wrong. I, the audience member did. That's when I was like, this, this show has done something amazing that I've never seen before. Yeah. It was this, I hadn't really, so I hadn't been sort of played by a narrative, uh, at least not a television narrative prior to that point, quite that hard. Right. Where I was, you know, 100 percent buying in. I was like, this is really like weird, interesting science fiction with what appears to be some kind of magic component in there. OK, that's kind of cool. Sort of like a space fantasy thing going on. Um, and I was really into the the mythos. Right. Basically looking at the Vorlons like like they're Gandalf. Right. Like they're mm -hmm. these these uh, larger than life, you know, nurturing wizard characters or whatever that are, you know, clearly they're like clearly they're dealing with stuff that's way beyond what our characters are looking at but you know they're, no... they're, enigmat they're enigmatic and frustrating yep. but at the end have they, they know best right exactly but it never at any point prior to you know some of those turns later in the series do i question it uh, i for actually completely forgot about i think the title was the title of that episode comes the inquisitor something like yes. that uh right i completely forgotten about that but yeah that was also a moment where i was like well that might not have been the best way to try to ascertain whether or not Dolin was sufficiently devoted to the cause. Like, why was fanaticism important? Uh, yeah. Especially because that's basically what he seemed to be testing her for, was are you sufficiently fanatical in your belief to carry through somebody testing you and testing you and testing you and testing you? Um, and, oh, wow, that was, I mean... I agree with you that the the uh, reveal at the end of that episode is kind of, mm, but it was still really well done and yeah. also just an excellent uh, moment for sort of planting the seed of maybe the Vorlons aren't about everything that you think they're about. Yeah. And in that way, so it's funny, um, originally we had planned to do an episode tonight on uh, the TV show The Orville. And we'll probably do that actually as our, either that or Daredevil is going to be our next episode. And we're going to do both at uh, some point pretty soon. Um, but but I think one of the, the reasons Jacob, you and I really love the Orville is that it is such a, a love letter to Star Trek and the whole Star Trek kind of universe and also a bit of a commentary on it. And I think in many ways, Babylon 5 is the exact same. Um, my, my If I remember correctly, JMS, the writer, uh, John Michael Straczynski, the writer of Babylon 5 was at one point a writer on one of the, the Star Trek shows, and he loved doing it, was also frustrated by it. And, and in some ways, this aspect especially feels like, you know, like it, 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 that we have talked on this, this show about our problems with this kind of storytelling where it makes very kind of clear these are the good guys, these are the bad guys, and if the good guys do something, it's morally okay. If the bad guys do something, it's morally bad. Don't ask questions. All of Babylon 5 is a critique and a rejection of that kind of television and that kind of storytelling. And I just, to have a science fiction show that is both a great science fiction show on its own, 
but also in so much a criticism and a sort of like call to do better of so many other shows that that really blows my mind and sort of as an ethicist makes me so happy because it's it's showing how these things can be part of a larger conversation. Yeah, I I don't think Joe Michael Straczynski ever actually wrote for any of the Star Trek television series, but I for sure I I would believe that he was at least involved in like some some script writing and whatnot. And I know I believe I don't know if this is apocryphal, but I remember reading about um the first pitch of Babylon Five as a show was made to Paramount. Uh, which is the mm-hmm. company that that was producing Star Trek, um, so yeah, I did. Uh, I realized what I got mistaken. Um, he he wrote a um a, a comic for Star Trek. Um, yes, but it's the 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 got the writer of Battlestar Galactica, which is also in many ways sort of a commentary on the science fiction genre. That person had been a writer for Star Trek. That's who I was getting confused with. Right, so, right. Anyway, go on. Uh, so. Before we uh, sort of diverge into ultimately trying to wrap up, there was a com- there was a comment I wanted to make on this whole the nature of the conflict and the idea of the puppet war, etc., between the Vorlons and the Shadows. Because I think it's it's important to note that one of the things that's very interesting about their conflict uh, is that there is this seed in here of the idea that you've forgotten what it was like to be like this. It. it again harkens back to the to the parents and their kids thing but in this particular case there's multiple times where it's especially when you're dealing with the vorlons it's just do as you're told right do what we tell you to do and sort of losing the losing the script a bit in that well what if humans for example uh, what if that doesn't work for them what if there's mm-hmm. a better way for them to go about it? Like what, and just like completely forgetting. And it's, it's that whole, like, you know, a parent can't really understand what their teenager is going through. They're not living during that time, even though they went through, you know, there's this, there's this notion, this, this conceit that we can remember what we were like when we were a teenager. Uh, and we can, but that doesn't mean it's at all parallel to what the next generation is like. And right. so there's this, this divide and it's a generational divide and the the amount of times that you can look at the interactions between uh the vorlons or the shadows and one of the younger races and go hey it's like what the boomers and the millennials are doing now or it's like what the greatest generation the boomers were doing back when that was when when that was the big divide right uh the same thing where the people who are older no longer have the perspective uh, of somebody in the position of like somebody who's trying to go out and get a job if we want to extend the baby boomer and, and millennial metaphor, <laughs> or somebody who is, in the case of actual Babylon 5, uh, a race who's trying to deal with their own culture, right, uh, right. and with problems within it. Yeah, I think it's it's it, it, I think I had not thought of that particular generational thing, but I think you're very right, especially because and the way we're phrasing this sounds very critical, like that youth is always right and age is always wrong. And I don't mean that by any means, nope. but I think one aspect of the conflict that often happens between generations is that uh, older folk will have made mistakes, learned lessons from them. Those were very painful lessons, and now they desperately want to make sure the younger people don't make the same mistakes. And, you know, like, go be a doctor. Don't waste your youth. You know, don't do not do drugs the way I did. Um, forgetting that 
those people are the way they are because they had the chance to learn those lessons, you know, and that right. um, a lot of generational conflict, I think, often comes down to a very understandable desire to protect those who are going to come next from what you had to go through without realizing what you had to go through was an essential part of you getting to the place where you are today. Um, and again, that can be taken to extreme in either way, and I don't mean it that way, but it is one more part here where it's, on a base level, I do believe that both the Shadows and the Vorlons honestly believe that what they are doing is helping everyone else and do honestly want to help someone else. And I will acknowledge, I, I have worked most of my career in helping professions. I've been a community organizer, I've been a pastor, I've been a, um, a therapist, uh, all kind of very various overlapping roles. It's not that I've had three different careers. And when you are trying to help someone and they won't listen to your advice or they're not able to do the thing that you think is best for them because someone else is giving them different ideas or you're just some some other way that you're trying to help someone and it's not going the way you want it to, it can be incredibly frustrating. And I think I've definitely felt the urge to kind of get you know, to get mad about it, to want to like start fighting with the person I'm trying to help because they won't listen to how I'm trying to help them. And I, I, I hope I've mostly been able to, to um, resist that urge, but I'm sure I've, sometimes I haven't. And, and that's, I, I think of that a lot when I think now of the Shadows and Vorlons because we're being incredibly critical of them. And I think for good reason. But I also, and again, here's the brilliance of the storytelling. I have a bit of sympathy because I think if you had, you know, as we said at the very beginning, you know, all of their all of their compatriots, everyone else had gone ahead. You know, imagine if that's like, you know, all your friends have gone off to the, the great place they want to go to and you have stayed behind just to help these younger races and now they're not letting you help them. I can see that being really frustrating. So I'm, I'm going to say that because I think on, on both sides of the generational debate, there's a lot of sympathy to be had. And again, it's where I think the show is so brilliant because that's that's what is happening is it's this writ large version of what that frustration can do when it's taken to its extreme of these people must do what I want them to do in order to be helped. And so I'm not even going to give them a choice anymore. Right. It's funny that the principal motivation, when you, when you boil it down to, when you get down to brass tacks, the principal motivation of both the Vorlons and the shadows is still technically to help these people. Right? right? They want to do what's best, what they think is best for these younger races. Just, it's so fascinating to me that, and it's it's really well presented, that even though that's the principal motivation doesn't mean that what they end up doing to achieve it uh, completely, as we mentioned earlier, undermines the goal itself. Uh, it's, oh, God, I love Babylon yeah. 5. <laughs> Yeah, it's so good because I and I would even push back a bit that I think I think at the start their motivation is one hundred percent to help. I think part of the thing is that they they eventually get to a point where they forget that because they are so that out of the motivation to help they are so frustrated and angry at the people they see as hurting that it just becomes the conflict and 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 I think this is something Sheridan specific calls out the role of ego in that of if you believe that what you are doing is helping. Having someone else say, no, 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 we have to help in this totally different way, that's a challenge to your ego. And I think that's the other thing that, that really comes out in the story. Right. And it, um, it's, it, go ahead. It, well, it, and it, like, 
of course this happened because they've been fighting with each other for thousands of years, right? This is literally a war without end until uh, the younger races finally stand up and say, enough, we're not going to listen to either of you anymore. Um, but, like, when, when, when you just keep fighting and fighting and arguing and arguing and arguing and not, not actually, like, trying to listen or appreciate the other side... Of course, you end up in a situation where you lose the message a bit, right? You yeah. lose the you're so invested in in the ideological battle that you forget what it is you're actually fighting for, which is also a great theme. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. Um, so I think this is probably a good time for us to start wrapping up. Um, do you have any kind of last final thoughts you wanted to share about this? So for me, uh. Babylon 5 is not a show that has necessarily aged particularly well. The CG is very old. Uh, so if, if anybody has listened to this and, like, now that we've spoiled a bunch of stuff and you probably still have no idea what we're talking about, are, are interested in maybe checking this out, uh, I would caution you that some of the acting is going to seem wooden, a lot of the dialogue is going to seem hackneyed, and the CG is going to seem, quite frankly, embarrassing. For its time, it was very impressive. And it was very necessary because the show was low budget to have the special effects be the way that they are. Um, and honestly, while the dialogue and, and the, the writing and the stories might seem a bit hackneyed and, and trite now, uh, they were groundbreaking for their time. And so I think um, it, it benefits from sort of looking at it with that lens and sort of allowing yourself to kind of get into the soap opera aspects of it because yeah it it's basically a space soap opera uh i just happened to really like it yeah <laughs> yeah and I, i'll admit i think if i had seen it today i'm not sure i i still think i would have played well into it because i'll say that that um we haven't even gotten into what i think is kind of the moral and ethical heart and soul of the show which is that we mentioned the race the centauri um, who the shadows are really able to kind of play upon. The when the when the Centauri kind of start falling under the shadows' influence, they get into conflict with a race, the Narn, that they have a very long, complicated history with, where they they used to be the the, the colonizers of Narn, and and that whole storyline is a whole other thing that is, I think, just I think no matter how bad the CGI or dialogue, that story alone still mm -hmm. makes the show one of my absolute favorites. But I also think you're right; it was. It is not aged well in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways it has. But it's important, I think, even just to know about it for how groundbreaking it was. Because in today's day and age, we really take for granted serialized, non-episodic storytelling to the point where episodic shows are more, you know, that when, when something does just seem like a one-off episode, it's referred to a bottle episode kind of critically. When Babylon 5 started this, it was very unique. Uh, uh, President Bartlett would yell at me, very unique isn't a thing. It was, it was unique um, in a way that... Um, I'm not sure it was the only one to ever do it, but certainly it was one of the first and one of the first in science fiction television. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope again that um, for those who, who love the show and have seen it, you have thoughts you want to uh, get back to us about, please do so. And I hope that others have, have listened to this. And even though we spoiled it, maybe, maybe you want to go and check out the show. Or if nothing else, this is giving you some things to think about, about how the show kind of connects to, to what you have to think um, on, on all these ethical questions. Um, as always, if you want to talk to us about it, if you want to um, comment about it, tell us how we're right or wrong, uh, please feel free to find us. Um, we are um, on Twitter and Facebook at Superhero Ethics. 
Uh, we're also our website is superhero ethics at um, uh, superheroethics.com. Our email is superheroethics at gmail.com. Um, all those ways, we love to hear from you guys. We love to talk to you about it. Um, I also want to, this is our first episode of the new year, and so I want to um, mention two big changes that are going to happen. Um, one is I started the Superhero Ethics Twitter account to be the Twitter for this uh, podcast, um, but I've also been using it as my personal Twitter account. And so those of you who uh, follow it see a lot of stuff about this show and see a lot of stuff about uh, related stuff. You also see stuff about my love of other things that have very little to do with all this. Um, and, and so realizing it's maybe time for separation, um, I am, I have created a second, um, uh, Twitter handle called the superhero ethicist. Um, I think that's the exact wording of it. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, definitely follow me there. That's going to be where, um, I'll be talking about these ethical questions a lot, but we'll be making the, the superhero ethics Twitter feed a little bit more specific to just the show and the questions the show is bringing about. Um, so hopefully that separation will make some sense to people. Uh, but it'll be pretty clear they're both related to this. And certainly, Jacob, if you want to uh, create a Twitter, you're very welcome to, to jump in there as well. Um, but I um, I love Twitter, but it's also a deep, dark hole, so I'll not push you that, to do that if it's not where you want to be. Um, I'll crawl out of my cave eventually, I swear. Yeah. Um, but the other big change I want to announce is, um, and here again, I, I want to mention this is something that I want to invite people to be a part of, but please feel no pressure to do so. But um, a number of you have been contacting me and saying, hey, we love the show. We want to support it. We want to give back. We want to help how we can. Um, and so with that in mind, I have created a Patreon page um, that will have a link to it. And um, I'm still kind of working out exactly what the the Patreon levels and rewards are going to be and stuff like that. I know we have some great uh, T-shirts and swag that you can get access to through Patreon. And we're also going to do things like uh, giving people sort of special access to help us plan out uh, show ideas or, or – uh, pick guests and stuff like that at higher levels. By the time the episode goes live, all of that will be set up and created, and there will be a Patreon page that we'll have a link to both on our website and also the show notes of the show. So, again, um, there's lots of ways to support what we do. Um, if you just want to download and listen and think about it, that's fantastic. That's all anyone ever needs to do. If you want to keep the conversation going by talking to us, great. We love that. If you want to pass the conversation on others by sharing this, podcast with your friends and getting them listening or or giving us positive reviews on itunes all that's great and if you want to financially support us um certainly you know uh, making the show does take a good deal of our time and there's a, a technological needs and stuff like that we'd love to kind of upgrade some of our microphones and things like that um if you want to give us that financial support through patreon you're very welcome to but certainly you do not have to we have many great fans who are going to support us in many different ways all of them are valid and awesome so um on behalf of myself, uh, uh, thank you guys all so much for listening. Jacob, do you have any last words? Uh, not that won't take another half an hour worth of discussions. <laughs> so, <laughs> Understandable, understandable. Okay, so um, thank you guys so much for being part of it. Jacob, thank you so much, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.